Good morning. It's a blessing to be with you on this Lord's Day. I think it's been somewhere around 13 years since I've been here with you. Uh, but it's an honor to stand before you this morning. I bring greetings from Grace Baptist Church in Hartsville. It's always a, a blessing to to see you guys. We usually send, J Justin is normally the one who comes, but he was scheduled to preach this morning at Grace Baptist. So our passage has been read already. So if you would join me in prayer as we seek the Lord's blessing one more time. Father, so much more is going on than we can see. The enemy is numerous and great. Stronger than any mortal man can stand against. So I cry out to you. The one who is immortal and almighty. Would you stand beside me? Would you be with me? As I battle against the kingdom of darkness. Empower us even today to burst through the gates. And to lead out many captives. It's to you we look for help. It's to you alone that we look for help. Help us now, we pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. I want to say from the very beginning, I've always hated ghost stories. I don't like the feeling of being scared or frightened. I don't understand why anyone would willingly go and pay to watch anything like that. It's beyond me. You're not going to find me sitting around a campfire chanting, tell us a ghost story. I hate that feeling and in me when that feeling is usually accompanied by anger. There's always been some type of fear in man when it comes to the spiritual world. For much of man's existence, human life has been in different ways affected by this fear. Many believed that the weather and health and fertility and their gardens were all in the hands of these spirits. So that so much of their lives were an attempt to control them. Today, we live in a day of science and know-how. And because of this, many deny the spiritual world altogether. We we look back on a bygone generation and just shake our heads and laughs because we know better. And yet, I must believe that the rejection must be due to some degree of fear. Because anything we can't observe or anything we can't explain, anything that we can't have at least some semblance of control over, it just scares us. 
It's like the well-meaning but misinformed parent who seeks to calm their children's fears at night by saying, you shouldn't be afraid because ghosts aren't real. We try to calm our fears with a lie. But I'm talking to you this morning. And though I'm sure that we are more affected by, in the, by the age that we live in more than we like to think or admit, I'm also sure that most people in this room right now believe in spiritual beings. I'm sure of this because you can't be a Christian and deny it. Because God is a spirit, infinite and eternal in His being, and changing in His being. But it, can't, it can be difficult to find a healthy balance, even in the church. We either live as though they don't exist, or we see them behind, every call, behind, behind the calls of everything bad that happens. We either mock their existence, or we blame them for every piece of burnt bread that comes out of the toaster. Some shrug off any mention of the devil or demons because they're afraid people will use these evil spirits as an excuse to, to evade responsibility. I mean, the devil made me do it. And others actually use it as an excuse to evade responsibility. And yet, today in our, our Bibles, we come across one of the greatest spooky ghost stories of all time. And no matter where we are on this spectrum, we must deal with this story. Just a quick reading of it can lead to many thoughts and questions. I mean, the reality of unclean spirits, the question of demon possession. Does it still happen today? If so, what, what could be one do about it? Uh, how do we know what it looks like? Exactly how many demons did this man have? Where did the, how did he come to be possessed? Was, was it something that he did? I mean, then you have the questions about the pigs. Uh, did the demons want to go into them? Why did Jesus permit them? Did the pigs actually commit suicide? I mean, what happened to the demons when the pigs died? I mean, demons can't drown, can they? And all those topics are interesting and perhaps intriguing. And, but Mark is wanting to communicate something to the readers in this story. In fact, we have to be careful because even though these topics are all biblical and are addressed perhaps at some point more or less in the Bible, if we spend our time with these things, I think we might be doing the very things that the evil spirits would have us to do. And here's what I mean. They would love it if we spent the next few moments giving a lecture with the goal of proving their existence. They would love it if I spent the next few moments making a presentation to you, attempting to answer the question of whether demons still possess people today, and if so, who and what does it look like? Demons would love it if we got so offended or distracted by the destruction of the herd of pigs that it keeps us from seeking the glory revealed when a sinner is set free from the hostile powers and reconciled to God through the person and work of Jesus Christ. We will not play into their hands today. Instead, we will focus our eye upon the Son of God. Of God, And we will see that this is the main point 
of the passage. There is no case of animosity too great for Jesus to overcome. There is no force too hostile for Jesus Christ to subdue. He can do what no one else can do. And He is on a mission to do that very thing. In Jesus Christ, God is reconciling the world to Himself. This is what is set before us today in this story. Let's walk through it together. Jesus and his disciples had made it through the great storm. And now finally, in the quietness of the night, they arrive on the far side of the sea. They reach the beach of Gerasa. Unlike the other places they had gone here, there were no crowds on the beach waiting for them. There's no long line of sick people desiring to be healed. There's no Pharisees or scribes trying to trap him in his words. Perhaps here the reader thinks that in the quietness of the night, at last, Jesus is going to get some rest. And then we read that immediately as Jesus steps off of the boat, that he is confronted by perhaps the scariest and most miserable creature in all of the Bible. Likely, they would have heard him coming from a distance because we're told that day and night among the tombs on the mountains, he was always crying out and cutting himself with stones. But all at once, his charge down the mountain culminated with him breaking through the darkness and falling at the feet of Jesus. He was naked. His body was covered with bloody wounds. He had broken shackles on his wrists and ankles. Three times in this description does Mark tell us that he lived among the tombs. First in verse 2, again in verse 3, he lived among the tombs. And then in verse 5, night and day among the tombs and on the mountains, he was always crying out. There's probably a couple reasons for this emphasis. Mark wants to emphasize this man's estrangement from everyone else in the living world. He is completely cut off from life. Night and day, he is alone and in the cemetery. But also the man's habitation among the tombs would render him unclean. One touch from this man and uncleanness would be spread to you. And yet, that wasn't the only threat. This is Gentile territory. They would have known this... But even if they didn't know it initially, it would have been quickly, it would have quickly become obvious to them. Because we are about to read of a 2,000 herd pig farm nearby. The sound and the smell would have been undeniable. And according to the Old Testament law, pigs are unclean animals for Jewish people. 
This is an unclean land. It's populated by unclean people who eat unclean food. And for just a moment, put yourselves in the sandals of the disciples. You would have already been put on edge by the great storm. And now you dock your boat in these conditions. But that's not the worst of the situation. Mark tells us that this sore covered naked man yelling in your face has a problem that is deeper than even his ethnicity. It's deeper than the neighborhood he lives in. It's deeper than the food he eats. We're told this man has an unclean spirit. He's possessed by demons. His body has been taken over and now ruled by an evil ghost. Mark's description of him depicts him as some supernatural empowered villain that you would expect to show up in the middle of a Marvel movie. He's, he is a terror to himself. He's a terror to others. His violence and his strength are just hammered home in three resounding negatives in the Greek. Not even by chains could anyone any longer restrain him. It seems that with time, these supernatural powers were increasing in him. Because it, from the reading, it seems that at one time, he was able to be restrained. But not anymore. He had been bound with shackles and chains. But now, he would just break them. At the end of verse 4, Mark summarizes what he would previously said with, no one had the strength to subdue him. When Mark writes of men's failed attempts to subdue him, it sounds like he's speaking more of a ferocious beast than of a human being. Indeed, this is the, the Greek word used of taming of a wild beast in James chapter 3. So great was the power of evil in him. He was like a wild animal on the loose. Mark writes such details because he wants us to see a couple of things. First, he wants us to see that this demon-possessed man is described in such horrible detail to show us clearly the hatred of evil spirits. They hated this man because he was a man. Because man is created in the image of God. As they gained control of him, they did everything they could to destroy God's image. His mind was deranged. He was self-destructive. He howled at the moon. He was separated from human society socially. He lived among dead tombs. He was a wrecked person physically and mentally and emotionally and spiritually and socially. Mark describes this man as the epitome of all that is unclean. Here is a demon-possessed man is the very embodiment of alienation. This is a startling picture of human wretchedness and the resulting alienation. Perhaps the power of evil was more concentrated in this man than in any other person in the world. 
This may have been the most unclean and alienated man on earth. But secondly, Mark writes with such detail to emphasize to the reader that this, his man was in such a horrendous condition and that there was nothing he or any other person who had ever attempted to help him could do about it. He wants us to see that this power of darkness is too great for the wisdom of man to overcome. It's too great for the power of man to overcome. On our own, humanity is helpless and hopeless against such power. This is the man Mark introduces to us in this story. It's a man who approached Jesus immediately when he stepped off of the boat, and though it was night, somehow, even though it was night, somehow this man knew that it was Jesus from a distance. Even before Jesus stepped off of the boat, because Mark writes in verse 6, and when he saw Jesus from afar, he ran and fell down before him. And crying out with a loud voice, he said, What have you to do with me, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? We shouldn't don't make too much of the fact that he, the man comes and falls down before him. I think it's likely an indication that the demons are in control of him and they recognize that there is a superior power who is a threat to them. In fact, the conversation that follows seems to reveal more hostility than humble contrition. The man cried out with a loud voice, what do you have to do with me? In other places, this phrase appears in setting where hostility is expressed. So it seems to signify that the demons are saying something like this. What have we to do with each other? Why are you interfering with me? Why are you not minding your own business? And just like the other demons that have been encountered by, Je by Jesus so far in this gospel, the demon knows precisely who Jesus is. Jesus, Son of the Most High God. And then they ordered Him not to torment them. Ironically, these spirits who are tormenting this man beg Jesus, even order Jesus, not to torment them. Shameless. To plead for mercy when they've shown no mercy. Like typical bullies, they can dish it out, but they can't take it. And when Jesus asked the man his name, the evil spirits speak up and say, My name is Legion, for we are many. Now, it would be like a person saying, My name is Green Beret. Or my, I'm, my name is 82nd Airborne. Because Legion was a fighting force of the Roman army. It was made up of 6,000 soldiers. This isn't just one demon. This is a thousand, thousands of demonic evil ghosts inhabiting this one individual. It probably isn't being used here to indicate that there's exactly 6,000 spirits in him, but simply to give an indication of how utterly overwhelmed this man was by this extraordinary demonic possession of his life. 
Now, this demonic army begins to plead like someone who knows that they're in the presence of someone vastly superior. Notice, they beg him not to torment them or to make them leave the region. They begged him. They try to will and deal their way to a more favorable judgment. They plead. It says, they begged and they begged Jesus for a reduced sentence. There, there was a herd of 2,000 pigs on the hill but nearby and they begged Jesus, just send us into the pigs. So Jesus permitted them to go into the pigs. And we're told the unclean spirits came out of the man, entered the pigs, and then the possessed pigs, 2,000 of them, charged down a steep bank and into the sea and they drowned. The pig herders were suddenly unemployed. They had been responsible for these for the well-being of the pigs. They were obviously unhappy with some reason, I suppose. They've watched their livelihood run down a hill and drown themselves in the sea. If they weren't the owners, I can imagine this was going to be a tough sale to the owners. They went and they reported of their misfortune to everyone that they could, both in the city and in the country. And so the people came out to see what was going on. And we're told in the passage, in the story, that when the people arrived on the scene, they saw Jesus and they saw the man who had been possessed by the legion. And it says they were sitting there with clothes on in his right mind. And it says they were afraid. They continued to get more eyewitness testimony. They heard what had happened with the demon-possessed man. They could see what had happened to the demon-possessed man. They heard what had happened to the pigs. And what happens next is actually the greatest tragedy in the story. When they heard about the transformation of the man and the destruction of the pigs, they begged Jesus to leave. So first it was the demons begging Jesus, and now the people start begging Jesus to leave. They would prefer an army of evil spirits and unclean pigs in their region than this man. And here's why. It's because this is the judgment that has come upon the world. The light has come into the world. And people love darkness rather than light because their deeds are evil. The man interested them for a moment, but it was the pigs that got their attention. Look, there's a demon-possessed man, a formerly demon-possessed man, clothed, calm, in his right mind. But oh no, we've, our pigs are gone. Their economic loss was more important than the deliverance of this man. And because of that, they turned 
their back on Jesus. He was clearly challenging the the worldly views of this people. He knew that the demon-possessed man was not the only person in the region influenced by the kingdom of darkness. He was giving them this opportunity to see something better. Look, he was saying the most valuable thing in the world is a person. One person with thousands of demons is of greater value than thousands of pigs. There's nothing more wonderful than for a person to be delivered from evil. To have this mind and his emotions made whole again. Turn to God. And he, this, is, this is what I've come to do. I've come to save people. Make broken lives whole. Because I value people. This is the system. The value system that he's bringing into this world. But it was too much. While they could see the kingdom of darkness, while they could see the kingdom of darkness corrupted, the alienated man, they couldn't see that its own that its influence in their own lives. Because that is the strategy of the kingdom of darkness. It has one strategy, and it's called deception. Every person outside of Jesus Christ is under a spell. And it's why the Apostle Paul says that sin corrupts us through deceitful desires. It, it alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds. This is why they begged Jesus to depart from their region. And it's why if you're here and you have not become a Christian, you have not surrendered your life to Jesus Christ. This, this is why. It's because you remain blinded by the kingdom of this world. You remain enslaved to the sin of this world. Hear me. One day the tables will turn. And you will not be the one begging Jesus to depart from you. It will be Jesus commanding you to depart from Him. Depart from me, you cursed into the lake of eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. And on that day, no excuses will be valid because all the excuses will be rooted in deception. I was too old. I had already lived a life of sin. No. These are the words of of the deceived. I'm too young. God will not hold me responsible. These are the words of a deceived person. I never knew I would die so young. I thought I'd have more time. Deception. These are words of hostility. Of enmity. Of alienation. And they didn't embrace him. Instead, they begged him to leave. And as Jesus was getting back into the boat, notice that the man who had been possessed begs to go with Jesus. Begs that he might go be with him. That's the desire of every new Christian. They just want to be with Jesus. 
One of the markers that you know that grace has broken in and set you free is that you want to be with Jesus. You want to talk with Jesus. You want to hear of Jesus. It is the only healthy response to such mercy. Now, this is a compelling climax to the story, and it stands out in such a powerful way. I tried to highlight that all of the three groups in this story begged Jesus for something. The demons begged him to go into the pigs. The crowd begs Jesus to leave. And the new disciple begs to be with Jesus. Did you catch the beauty of this story? Only the man in his right mind begs for the right thing. The one who earlier was the epitome of alienation, the one who was the embodiment of hostility, now begs to be with Jesus. This is what a disciple is, according to Mark chapter 3, when he was sitting around, he was sitting around at Jesus' feet. This is how Mark describes the disciples. He looked about those who sat around him and said, Here are my mother and my brothers, for whoever does the will of God is my brother and sister and mother. This man wasn't just released from demon possession. The grace of God had overcome the alienation and had brought a full reconciliation. He's now numbered amongst those called brother. He's part of a family. He's been given the secrets of the kingdom. The hostility had been silenced and the gap had been bridged. Enemies had now become friends forever in this night. In the darkness of this night. Because this is the very thing Jesus came into the world to do. In Christ, God was reconciling the world to Himself. This story isn't primarily to pique our interest in demons. It's here to show us something absolutely Wonderful about Jesus Christ. Jesus had been on the other side of the Sea of Galilee. Huge crowds surrounded him. Everybody wanted to see him. He was experiencing such tremendous popularity. And he told his disciples, let's go over to the other side. Because he had a plan So they set out across the lake. They ran into a great storm. And when they landed on the dark side of the lake. Now we see why Jesus had left the huge crowds and all the popularity. Because there was one man on the other side of the sea. This journey into the darkness was about one man. One horrible man, one violent man with a broken mind, a man cut off from society of normal people, but a man that was valued by the Son of God. And here we see a wonderful truth that people are valuable to Jesus. Broken people are valuable to Him. And people enslaved by sin stir the compassion in His heart. And there is no power strong enough. There is no 
hostility deep enough and there is no alienation wide enough to keep Jesus from reconciling with those He came to save. There is no distance He would not go, whether it be across the Sea of Galilee or from heaven to earth. There is no obstacle He would not endure, whether it be a hurricane or the wrath of God. Brothers and sisters, if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of His Son, how much more now that we're reconciled shall we be saved by His life? That is what His mission is all about. He left heaven and came to earth on this mission. He came to destroy the works of darkness. He came to reconcile two enemies. He came to reconcile God and man. And just a few chapters later, at the end of Mark, in his final hours of his life, we see how he is able to accomplish this great work. And what is so interesting is that in his suffering, in his brokenness, we see this man, this garrison demoniac, because there on the cross, Jesus is stripped of his clothing. Now Jesus is the man covered with wounds. Jesus is the one driven out of the city, out of human society, to the place of the dead. It's Jesus groaning in agony in the dark, mocked by demons and men. It's Jesus who's crying out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Because Jesus exchanged places with this man. He became like him in death in order to save him. That's what it cost Jesus to save you and me. This is what it cost him to reconcile us to God. It cost him total brokenness. He suffered in his passion the pains of hell, the wrath of God. Why? Because he loves sinners. Because sinners matter to him. Even, even when we were under the control of darkness, shouting defiance, He has set His eye upon sinners. He has chosen sinners. He had a plan for sinners. So that in this life and in the life to come, you could be a whole person. Sitting clothed in your right mind, being with Him, your Savior forever. That let that great saving work sink into your heart. There are, thing, there are great things Jesus has done for you. This is the great mercy that has been shown to you. This work is the only one that can silence the rebellion. This is what draws our heart to Him. This is how the desire to be with Him is conceived. It's by standing in amazement at this mercy. By watching Him become the alien so that you can become the son and the daughter. Now the man who had the legion, he begged Jesus that he might 
be with him. And yet in this story, this man is the only person in the story who begs Jesus for something. And Jesus doesn't give it to him. He sent the unclean spirits into the pigs just as they requested. He was getting under the boat to leave the region just as the people begged him to do. And now this man begs to go with them and Jesus doesn't permit him to go. Instead, he tells him, go home to your friends and tell them how much the Lord has done for you. Tell them how he's had, tell them how he's had mercy on you. And so the man did. He went and he proclaimed to the Decapolis, that's ten cities, how much Jesus had done for him. And everyone marveled. I ask you, are you willing for Jesus' mercy to define you? Are you willing to tell who you were so that his mercy can be seen for what it is? We are so tempted so often to hide our past, ashamed of what we have done. Ashamed of who we were, we want to keep our past to ourselves, but better yet, we would love to forget our past. But to keep your past to yourself is to keep His mercy to yourself. For us to come across to others as being good people that Jesus saved is an attempt to share in the glory of salvation. To be sinners that Jesus saved is to give Him all the glory. Three times in this final paragraph, this man was called the man who had been possessed. And he wasn't running from this. He owned it that he was possessed with the devil at one time. He glorified God that he had been delivered through the Jesus Christ. And when the people heard this, they marveled. Let me ask you, who were you? Do your friends now know who you used to be? Do your children know who you used to be? What would the writer of this story of reconciliation call you? Were you the man who abused his wife and children? Were you the man who stole from his friends and family? Were you the narcissist who seems to believe that Facebook was invented so that your greatness could be revealed? Were you the woman who had an abortion? Were you the prostitute, the adulterer, the liar and the manipulator? Who were you? Is your desire to forget the past causing you to rob your friends and family of an opportunity to marvel? What awful condition did he rescue you from? Go and tell your friends and your family of the great things that the Lord has done for you. Tell them of the mercy that he's had on you. 
brothers and sisters, in this story, Jesus was on a mission of mercy. He was determined to overcome the greatest hostilities, to reveal his merciful power, and to reconcile man to himself. And today, the same message of reconciliation continues to be offered to you. He has broken the strongholds that evil forces once had over mankind. He has canceled the record of death that stood against us with legal demands. He set it aside. He's nailed it to the cross. He's disarmed the rulers and the authorities and he's, he's put them to open shame. He's triumphed over them in, on the cross. The work of reconciliation has been done and all that now remains is the begging of sinners to receive mercy. Will you receive it? Will you run and fall at His feet today? Will you come and bring your animosity and trade it for His peace? He will make the trade if you come. Will you receive this reconciliation? And if you will then you will proclaim His mercy, the mercy that you've received. You will make His mercy known to those around you. You will be an ambassador on behalf of God, proclaiming this reconciling work of the cross and begging them to come and receive it. Because this is the mission of Jesus Christ. And the question is, is will we join Him in it? Will we join Him in it? Would you pray with me? Father, would you bless the preaching of the gospel of Jesus Christ to the hearts of your people. Amen.